Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. Thanks, Beth. And thank you, teachers, all those who um, serve in not only children's ministry, but in Sunday school. We appreciate the time you take and what you do. Um, just to give you a recap of where we are, um, first of all, I, I talked about the fact that God has a council uh, in numerous places in Scripture. We see it. Um, we, we see it um, where he calls them. He's with them. He makes decisions with them. They are a council of Elohim. Elohim just being the word that is in Scripture for people or beings in the spiritual realm. He allows them to assist him in inter- as he interacts with the world. It's not that he needs a counsel. It's that he wants a counsel. Uh, God is a relational God. He likes having his creation with him. So this idea that some people have that God just spun the world and then ran off and did something else, that's not God. God wants to be with his creation. Now we must understand that his counsel is not equal with him. They are not Yahweh, they they do not have the same attributes that he does. They say share some of them as we do. But they do have one that we know we have, and that's free will. Now, because of free will, man will rebel. We're going to rebel. Just because we have free will, we can make a choice. It is all about the choices that we make, no matter how young or how old we are. Life is about the choices we make. And the first rebellion that happens was in the Garden of Eden. And that's when a certain Elohim, a certain creature known as the serpent, tempts man and woman to sin. And at that point, when they do that, of course, obviously, since God is all-knowing, God knows, he comes down, catches them, knows what they're doing, and he curses them. And the man, the woman, and the serpent are expelled from the presence of God presence of Yahweh. Now the second rebellion occurs later, and that's when some of the Benai Elohim, or what are known as the sons of God, come down to earth. Remember, they are spirits, they are in his council, but they are able to take bodily form, and they take bodily form, they come down, and they teach forbidden knowledge to man, and end up falling whatever you want to call it, in love, if you want to call it that, with human women, and they, they birth Nephilim, they birth children with them, which is, is forbidden by God. So this fact that now we have this, what we would call half-breeds of Nephilim, of creatures that are, are not really of heaven, but are, not, that are, but are of earth, that are part human, part Benai Elohim, part spirit, and if you if you read the the writings of the of the of the of the father the church fathers and of the second temple period, you'll see that there were some things that were going on. I'm not going to go into detail. I, I would suggest you read these. It's not that it's scripture. It's that it gives you a good backstory. It gives you a better idea of the whole picture of what is going. Why did the, we? Why are the things in the New Testament the way they are? Why did the first testament writers write this? Why did the Jews believe what they believed? It gives you a good foundation for that, but it's not, it's not scripture. It's not 
it's not inspired. In fact, if you read the book of Enoch, it says this is not to be part of the scriptures. It's not. It, but it is good to read. So along with the progressive wickedness of man, God it leads God to send the flood, and he destroys the world, except for Noah and his family. Now, we must always keep in mind that God is not surprised by the rebellions. God does not sit up there and say, man, you know, I really didn't expect Chris to do that today. He knows what I'm going to do, and he allows me to do it. I mean, that's a loving God. Because he knows, he knows me, and he wants me to turn back to him. He wants me to repent. But the what happens is now that we we got to keep that in mind that God knows. He's not surprised, but he doesn't control everything we do. But his will will ultimately be done. See, God always has a plan. And his plan has been the start for the same thing from the start. It has not wavered. And his plan was for the first man and woman to spread Eden to the ends of the earth. And we know this because that's what it says in Genesis 1.28. It says that God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, basically have lots of children, and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. It says it have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Adam and Eve were to have children and they were to fill the whole earth. We must remember that Eden was only in one spot. It wasn't over the whole earth. It was one area. It was the garden of God. It's where God was. It's where his counsel was. It's where God met with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He walked with them. But they lost that. But God had wanted them to spread that, to spread his knowledge, to spread the knowledge of him and his goodness throughout the earth. But the fall of the garden stopped that process. But understand, just because there's a curve in the road, God's plan does not change. His plan is still to have Eden be throughout the whole earth. We see this in Ephesians chapter 1, the very beginning of, of what we started when we started this, Ephesians 1, 9 through 10. This is what Paul says. He says, making known to us the mystery of his will. God has allowed us to see the truth of what God wants according to his purpose. God has a purpose, which he set forth in who? In Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And see, that gives us a clue that there's more to this than what just meets the eye. God's plan is for everything in heaven, which would be the council, all the spirit realm, and on earth to be united under Jesus Christ. That was his plan from the start. 
His plan is to unite it all. His plan has not changed, and it cannot and will not be sidetracked, no matter what happens. But there's going to be curves in the road. He's going to allow us, because of free will that he chose to give us, he's going to allow things to we, us to do it certain ways. He allows his counsel to have input on certain decisions and to activate those things and to do those things. We saw that. Again, when we looked at the story of Ahab and how Ahab was killed, God gave them the ability and the authority to decide how it would happen. Not if it would happen, but how. And he allows us to do things. I, I talk to people who, 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 who have been believers, and I myself can tell you times when, when I, have, I know I'm on the right path, and then all of a sudden I find myself, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. But God has somehow directed me back to it. And you hear people tell stories of when they're they're not even believers in Jesus Christ yet. And yet something is leading them to do certain things that puts them in places where they will encounter God. It's, It's just God's plan. God has it all worked out. Now, after the flood, there's another curve. And we see that curve at the Tower of Babel. See, the story of the Tower of Babel is probably one most known by most people. There's many, many places, not only in, in Scripture, there are places in ancient religions where there is a tower. If you actually study the ancient religions, you'll see a lot of the cohesiveness between what they say and what the Bible says. It's just that they have different characters, and it's from a different perspective, meaning that it's from the other side, and they say the other side is good. Scripture says, no, God is good. They say the sons of God created everything, and and the Scripture says, no, Yahweh created everything. But the story of Tower of Babel is, is very common. To ask any of the children down in children's ministry and faith kids, they'll tell you about the Tower of Babel. But see, I also think that at the same time that the Tower of, story of the Tower of Babel is probably one of the most misunderstood. We, we stop with what we read in Genesis, and we don't read the other places that it talks about it. We're all taught in Sunday school that this was that moment, that moment that God confused human languages. Why do we have why do we have all the languages we have? Why does why is it the fact that you know if you if you look at Spanish and you look at Italian, they're similar. In French, they're a little similar. There's some words that are common. Why is that? And why is Japanese and Chinese so different than English? And what are all those symbols they write? Did you know that you reach a point in the world and if you go east, it becomes symbol language. The language is symbols rather than letters, than, than the, 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 the Arabic writing that we do. Why? Why is this so different? We're all taught that the human language was confused. See, after the flood, God had repeated the, the command that he gave Adam and Eve. He repeated it to Noah and his family, that they were to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the whole earth. But remember, man has free will. He can choose to do that or not. So what does he do? 
He chooses to not do it. He refuses to obey. See, you would think, because you understand that, that Noah was around at this time. They would have known, they would have known about the flood. They would have known the stories of the flood. And yet, it did not stop rebellion. Now, I don't know about you. As a father, there are things that, as a child, as, a, as growing up, and, and my, mom, my mom may tell stories about me. She probably doesn't know half of them. Okay? There are things I've done in my life that sometimes I even regret today. So what do I do? I tell my kids, listen, don't do this. Well, why? Because I've done it, and it didn't turn out very good. You know, don't stick the screwdriver in the light socket. Why? Because I've done it, and it's not going to turn out good for you. Right? But see, it didn't stop the rebellion. The flood did not stop it. Because what happens? Our hearts wander from God. We wander from the truth. And we start to actually believe this crazy notion that I know better than God. (laughs) What a foolish, foolish thing to say. They thought that their idea was better than God. So let's do this. Instead of spreading out throughout the world, let's build ourselves a tower. Because we want to make a name for ourselves, is what they said. We don't want to be spread throughout the world. We want to be right here. They felt that their idea was much better than God's. They built the tower. But the question is, how would a tower keep them together? How how is it that this tower has any significance at all? The answer lies in the tower itself. See, ancient Babylon was located in what's called the Fertile Crescent. The Fertile Crescent is in in modern-day Iraq. It's between the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers. By the way, did you know the Tigris and Euphrates rivers are are the only two rivers we know of from Scripture that are in, I mean, were in Eden? There are two others we don't know what they were. But those two rivers were part of Eden. It flowed through Eden. Those two rivers did. But in there is the Fertile Crescent. That's where Babylon was. And cities in ancient times would build towers, which are called ziggurats. That's a ziggurat. Uh, That's actually in um, Ur, in southern um, Iraq, that that ziggurat is right now. And there was a place, their purpose was to provide a place where people could meet with God. You see, remember, I, I think I said last week that, that usually gods were either considered to be on, in gardens or on garden, in gardens on top of mountains. So they would make the top of that beautiful, like a garden, a temple. They play, both gardens and, t- and towers play integral parts in ancient religions. But instead of obeying God and spreading throughout the world, they, they, and, and spreading the knowledge of God and his rule throughout the earth, what did they want to do? They wanted to bring God to one spot. They wanted to say, this is where God is. It'd be like, it'd be like us saying, you know, the Baptist church, the Nazarene church, the Presbyterian church, the Methodist church, the Lutheran church, God's not there. He's only here. He's right here. 
That's not true. God's wherever two or more are gathered in his name. But that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to bring God to them. But that's not what God wanted. So what does God do? We see this in Genesis 11:7. It says, come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. Now, could you imagine? Now, I know. There are half, half the time my wife doesn't understand what I say because I mumble. And half the time I don't hear, I don't know what she says. I don't understand what she says because I don't listen. I'll admit it. But could you imagine being with your family? And I imagine, and, and your neighbors, I imagine if there was pretty close where all of a sudden you cannot even understand their language. They're speaking Chinese. You're speaking Hebrew. Nothing close. The confusion that happened that day. But notice the language in this verse. It says, let us go down. Again, God is including his counsel in this event. And God confuses humanity's language, and they're separated, and they're forced to scatter. And this is where we get, in Genesis 10 and 11, we get the table of nations. This is a list of all the nations that come from the descendants of Noah. And this is all the story we know. We know this story. It's, it's common. But there's more to the story to be found in other parts of Scripture. So first, we have to look at Deuteronomy 32. And this is what it says. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance. So this is saying there is a certain moment in time when God gave the nations what they were going to get. It says, when he divided mankind. Now, where is the only place in Scripture where God separates mankind, where he divides them? Tower of Babel. That's it. There's no other place in Scripture that he did that. He fixed the borders of the peoples. How? What did he do? He confused their language. So automatically you would group with those people that you could understand. And so that's when he started to fix the borders of the nations. And believe me, it doesn't look anything like it does today. If you go to the Middle East, that is not the way the nations were split up by God. It's completely different. But he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people. So what God does is he separates the people, and he divides the nations according to the number of the sons of God, the Benai Elohim. Now, some translations say the sons of Israel. The problem is Israel wasn't in existence at that time. So how did he do that? He probably wouldn't have. It's right after this that God chooses Abraham. And he doesn't say according to the sons of Abraham, or according to the, but according to the sons of Jacob, actually, is what it says. The sons of Israel, because Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And Jacob wasn't there. And the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is the oldest manuscripts that we have of the Bible, says the sons of God. And we know the sons of God are the Benai Elohim. These are the ones who are on his council. And the, so the original language is important here. When God divided up the nations, which Babel is the only time, God divided the nations amongst the members of his council. 
He divided them, took 70 of his members of his council, and he gave them stewardship over the nations. Except God did one thing also. He created Israel. He took Israel as his own. His cho- That's why he says they are the chosen people. That's why. Because God chose them. Okay? He chose them. What did he chose them for? For salvation? No. You're not saved just because you're an Israelite. You were chosen to be the vehicle that he would bring salvation to the world. They were chosen to have the truth and to spread that truth. They were chosen to be part of God's plan for the salvation and calling the nations under Christ. See, until Babel happened, God wanted to have a relationship with mankind. God could have created the garden, but Adam and Eve in there just let them go. But he was there with them. After the, after the fall, they're separated. But God still wants them to fill the earth with humanity and to spread his rule and his, the knowledge of him throughout the whole world. So he blesses them. And, the, and you know, people lived a long time back then. So they're growing, and the people are growing, and, but they're still gathering together. So at that point in time, after the flood, that they've gathered together and they've built the city, he spreads them out again. And he says, okay, I'm done. My Benai Elohim, they are going to be stewards of the nations. I'm giving them to them to rule, basically. But I'm choosing Israel as mine. I will be their king. I will be their ruler. And it's from this we see the whole framework of the Old Testament. The rest of the whole, the whole Old Testament is about the struggle between God's chosen people, Israel, and the other nations. It's a constant struggle between the two. Why? Why? Why is there such struggle? Why is there so much conflict between the other nations and Israel? Why today? We're seeing it today. Why is there so much? And I know we could say, well, it's just this. It's Hamas. No, no, it's the, it's 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 the Jews. They're they're just not. They're, they're they're trying to do these things to to the to the Palestinians. But you got to go back further. You got to see this. This land was given to them by God. All things belong to God. And whether you believe in Him or not, you're His. But He's not going to force you to be in His presence. You have to choose to be in His presence. But we see this framework. But this conflict was not what God intended. Remember, God's plan was for, for these people to spread throughout the world and share, share his goodness with the world. It's not what he intended. Babylon was a time of judgment on humanity. And God, But see, God did not abandon the world. His plan is still moving forward. His plan is still to draw everything in heaven and on earth under Christ. And remember, all things on heaven and earth belong to God. They're all his. So when God makes this covenant with Abraham, he told them that through, through Abraham, the nations would be blessed. See, he, he, didn't, he didn't just give the nations to the Benai Elohim and say, okay, I'm done with them, you do whatever you want with them. 
all things will still be brought under, under Christ. And we see this in Paul's writings in Acts 17, 26. He says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. From one man, from Adam, God created all mankind, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places. What he did at Babel. That they should seek God. This is what we're supposed to do. It doesn't mean just because you're not Jewish, you don't have to seek God. You are to seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet, he is actually not far from each one of us. The plan was for, for, for God to give the Benai Elohim these nations, and they were to lead the people back to him. And the Israelites had been warned by Moses not to worship these hosts of heaven. So in other words, do not worship the Elohim who were put over the nations by God to lead them. Because Israel was supposed to be a, a nation of priests. In Exodus 19.6, this is what God tells Moses to say. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. They were to be priests, all of them. To who? To the nations. I always keep going back to this. Remember, what did Jesus say when he turned over the tables in the temple? He says, my father's house is to be a house of prayer for who? The nations. Not just for the Israelites, for the nations. See, but, but the Elohim over the nations would interfere with God's plan because they too have free will. And God would again be faced with another rebellion. And we see this rebellion in the book of Psalm. Psalm 82, 1 through 8. It says, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. We talked about that verse. We see that it says, God, capital G, has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, little g, he holds judgment. And this is what God says, how long Will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Salah. And that's just a, a, a poetic term. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the desolate. He's saying, how long are you going to do the wrong thing? How long are you going to lead incorrectly and judge incorrectly? You need to do what's right. You need to give justice to the weak and the fatherless. He says, rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. It is so bad that the very foundations of the earth are shaken because the nations are following darkness. And the ones ruling them are to, are to blame, are responsible for it. I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High. These are the Benai Elohim he's talking to. All of you, nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. The gods, the Elohim of the nations, had ruled unjustly. They've done what they're not supposed to do, and it's counter to the wishes of Yahweh. These 70 Elohim had failed, and I only say 70 because there are 70 nations in the table of nations. The 71, if you count Israel. But 70 Elohim had failed to lead the nations, and they were the nations are walking in darkness. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. Because they're supposed to find their way back to Yahweh. 
at the time of Noah, think about this, Noah and his sons, who did they worship? They worshiped God, Yahweh. But as time grew and as people became more and more wicked, Tower of Babel, now the nations are handed over to the Benai Elohim. They're supposed to lead. They're not evil. They're just, they're just, they've done what we've done. They have rebelled and gone their own way. For now, those, those Benai Elohim are still in their positions of power. How do I know this? Because in Ephesians, what we read in the beginning of these parts of this is a couple weeks ago, Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not struggle against flesh and blood. We don't struggle against humanity, but we are against the rulers. The rulers, Benai Elohim are the rulers of the world, the rulers of the nations, against the authorities. They have authority. Then against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So we have we have the rulers who are the Benai Elohim who are ruling the nations and leading them astray, having them worship them rather than worship God. Then we have the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, which would be Satan, all the, any other sons of God who are against God, and the demons. That's who we're fighting. But God starts over with the human family of Abraham and Sarah. And it's through Abraham's descendants that God would begin to reclaim the nations. But, if you know your Old Testament, in time, Israel rebels, does the same thing, and they start going after the gods of the other nations. In Deuteronomy, God is warning them that if they, if they fall away, this is what's going to happen. He says, then people will say, Deuteronomy 29, 25 through 26, it is because they abandoned, this is what people will say about Israel, it is because they abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And if you read through the Exodus, you can see multiple times he made agreements with them. This is what you're going to do. If you follow me, I will do this. If you don't, this will happen. It says in 26, And went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods whom they had not known and whom he had not allotted to them. So what happens? After Solomon, Israel splits, and they begin to follow after other gods, and then they turn on each other. And it's a sad commentary of what happens if you read Jeremiah. Jeremiah 3, 8 through 10 says, She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one, Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. What it's saying is, Israel was the northern kingdom. It was taken over by the Assyrians. And Judah, which was the southern kingdom, had seen it happen. Now, I don't know about you, but when if Caleb gets in trouble for something, I, Abigail's usually pretty smart. She knows not to do the same thing. Vice versa, hopefully. If Caleb, if Abigail does something wrong, gets in trouble, I, I would hope that Caleb would see, don't do the same thing, because you're going to get in trouble too. But Judah didn't see it. They saw everything going on in Israel. They saw what happened, and yet what did they do? Yet her treacherous sister, Judah, 
did not fear, but she too went and played the whore. Because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adultery with stone and tree. Yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, declares the Lord. And I never really caught that. I'm like, wait a minute. So what did they do? They acted like they returned to God, but they didn't. I'm like, I hope we're not doing this. I hope we're not acting like we're Christians. In reality, we're not. Because God knows the difference. So what did God do? God sent the Babylonians to overcome Jerusalem, destroyed it, destroyed the temple, took everything that was in the temple, and took a lot of the people. And this is where you see Daniel, how Daniel gets to Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and ultimately... If you read Esther, that's how Esther's there. Mordecai. God had to kick them out of the promised land and send them into the exile in the lands that are being ruled over by the Benai Elohim. Now you wonder wonder why Israel, the, 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 the promised land, is so important to them? Because that's where God is, according to them. And now what God has done is he has sent them where the other gods, the other the Benai Elohim, are ruling. Where darkness is. A desert. A place of evil. It's punishment. See, humanity's story is a story of failure. All humans have been lost since the fall in the garden. We are imperfect. We are estranged from God. Our leaders cannot be trusted. Do you trust our leaders? No. I don't care if they have a D or an R behind their name. I don't trust them. Our leaders cannot be trusted to maintain God's kingdom here on earth. They can't. Because, as Isaiah says in 53.6, And we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We sin. We fail. We, we join the enemies of God in, 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 their, in the pursuit of our own desires. We, we want to do what we want to do. And God has every right to utterly destroy us. But see, God has a vision of humanity as we are steward kings over a new Eden that cannot happen without us. God's plan is still in place to draw all things under Christ, both in heaven and on earth. The curse from the fall in the garden has to be lifted. It has to be reversed. And God has a plan to do it. But there's a problem. There is a slight problem. God would need a man who was more than just a man in order for his ultimate plan to succeed. And this man had to be able to resist temptation. He had to have free will, but he also had to be able to resist temptation and always obey Yahweh. He had to be fit to be a king. He had to be of a line of kings. And he had to be able to reverse the curse of death by dying himself and then rising again by his own power. So how is this going to happen? There's only one way. God himself would become a man. 
as a man, God could fulfill his own plans. He could, he could do all those things, and he would restore humanity, and he would restore Eden. And only humans who are forgiven and made divine like Jesus Christ through the resurrection power of Christ will be in Eden when it's restored. That's the plan. 1 John 3, 1-3, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what will we be has not yet appeared. This is not what I'm supposed to be like. Yeah, from, in my mind, I'm supposed to be a lot thinner and a lot younger. But this is not what we're supposed to be. What we're supposed to be has not been seen yet. But we know that when he appears, when he comes back, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him, so everyone who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, if they believe in their heart and they declare with their lips that Jesus is Lord, they are saved. They are the ones who will be in the new Eden. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. But there's a problem. Satan and the fallen Elohim are still out there in the world. And, they, and if they discover that God in the form of man was here to die and rise again so that Eden would be restored, they would do everything in their power to stop it. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. There's a secret and hidden wisdom. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So God would hide what he was going to do in plain sight. He puts it in different places in Scripture. Even Isaiah 53, 11, which is the most amazing portrait of the suffering servant, never uses the word Messiah. They didn't see it. Jesus' disciples are clueless. They were surprised that Jesus was going to Jerusalem to die. They didn't know and understand God's plan. But the intelligent, supernatural, even be evil beings knew that the prophesied son of David was on earth, and they're scared. In fact, if you read Matthew 8, 28 through 29, it says, And when he came to the other side to the country of the, the Gadarenes, or the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tomb, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What do you have to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? The demons know. So why does this matter? Why, why do we even look at this? Satan and the demons, the spiritual sons of God who rule the nations, do not know everything. We think of them as supernatural, so we think that they know everything. They do not. But they do know, but they do not know the mind of God. They know that their time is short. Okay? Only Yahweh is all-knowing, and he is on our side. And due to the fall of humanity, Satan has rightful claim over us because we all die. He is Lord of the dead. This is the earth is the place where the dead are. He has dominion here. He's the ruler of the earth for now. Everything changed when Jesus came the first time. 
and it put into motion God's ultimate plan of God to restore Eden on earth. Men would first have to be restored by escaping the curse of death. And all who believe in Jesus Christ are made members of God's family and his kingdom. We are no longer hostage to the curse of death. You know, O death, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? Death doesn't matter anymore. It's lost. We won. Jesus won. We don't have to worry about death anymore. It no longer has power over us. And it had, if it no longer has power over us, Satan no longer has power over us. Oh, he's still trying. Oh, he's still going to bug us. But Jesus knew his death and resurrection would pay our debt, leaving Satan with no claim at all on our souls. None. And the kingdom was beginning of the end. God's kingdom is the beginning of the end of the Lord of the dead. And we must understand where our identity comes from. We those who truly believe in Jesus Christ are the body of Christ. And just as Jesus was raised on the third day, we too will rise one day. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, it says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead, Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Satan has no claim on us. He cannot keep us here. We will rise from the dead. There is no reason to look for the living in the realm of the dead. But we must work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And we must ultimately be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Because there are enemies out there who want to destroy us, who want to keep us from believing in Jesus Christ. And they're not human. That's the whole point of the last three weeks was to show you that there's more going on here than what we see. And what we need to do in order to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might, we need to repent of our sins constantly because we're constantly sinning. We need to constantly repent. It's okay. God is faithful. He's long-suffering. And we need to turn from our own ways and turn to Jesus Christ. And we need to put on the full armor of God. People, it's time to do battle. And it's time to put on the armor. So next week, we're going to suit up. And we're going to talk about the armor of God. And we're going to talk about how we, over the next week, we're going to talk about how we fight. It's not what you think. It is not what you think it is. I'll, be, I'll give you a little preview here. We are not going to go out and start casting out demons. Not going to happen. That's not how we fight. Our way we fight, the ways are we gonna, we're going to fight are much stronger, more powerful, much more powerful. So let's pray. Father, we praise you. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that your plan never stops. It doesn't stop. Your plan is still the same, to draw all things under Christ, both in heaven and on earth. You have a marvelous plan, and you're working it out. And our responsibility in this is to trust you, to believe in you, to suit up as we prepare for battle. Forgive us, Father, that we've been setting this, if we've been setting this battle out for way too long. The time is short. It's time. It's time to get in the game. It's time to do the battle we need to do. 
So help us, Father, to do that. Walk with us this week, Father. Lead us in your ways. Help us to grow in your, in your grace. We pray this in your name. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you for joining Living Faith on our YouTube channel. My prayer is that this message today has encouraged you and strengthened your faith in Jesus Christ. We would love to connect with you, so please subscribe to our channel and hit the bell so that you get updated when we add a new message. Also, please leave any comments you might have in the comments section. We would love you to join us live for our service on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. We hope you have a great day today. God bless.